up to Psalm 26. Just while you're making your way to Psalm 26, I guess away from, away from the things of God, we all have interests and hobbies and uh, things that get our attention, things we might like to research and to have a look at and learn about. And one such thing for me is, is aviation, aeroplanes and pilots and all that sort of stuff. And I was reading an article the other day, and the bulk of the article was, makes no sense here whatsoever, but the first and last uh, paragraphs uh, in the article just caught my attention. So I'm going to read the first paragraph at the beginning of this talk and the last paragraph at the end. But it posed the question, speaking of pilots, and it said, which is safer? A 10,000-hour pilot who has only flown 20 hours in the last year or a 200-hour pilot which has flown frequently in the last month. Often it's the latter, which is an excellent argument for staying current, which just means to, to be up to speed on all the things you have to have in place and to understand your aircraft. Flying an aeroplane is not like riding a bicycle. If you don't use the skills, you'll lose them. And it's the same with our walk in the Lord, I believe. There's some parallels that we can perhaps look at here. The first person I talked about was a 10,000-hour pilot, somebody that's been at it for many, many, many years, but has only done a little bit in a year or so. And the other person's just getting started perhaps in their career, but involved in everything, flying often, uh, really up to speed on everything. Here in Psalm 26, just one verse, and it says in verse 2, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. It's really interesting because there's a number of components in this verse. It says, examine me, O Lord, prove me. Try my reins and my heart. And that's a wonderful prayer that we each and every one of us should have. Uh, we won't turn there for time, but in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, we're told to examine ourselves. And we can now because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, when David and others made these requests, which we make also, you know, examine me, Lord, and, and we're really concerned about how the Lord sees us and we're looking to be corrected by the word and so forth and all these things. But now that we're spirit-filled and the spirit's within us, we have the capacity to examine ourselves. And I guess the question I want to pose is for each and every one of us is are we reluctant or even offended to examine ourselves about our position in God and the hope for our soul? I would hope not, and all the people said. I would hope it would never bother us to examine ourselves and to look to see if we need correction because I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if I did, I'd expect every hand to go up if I say, do we all need to look at ourselves and tidy a few things up? I'm sure we all do. And praise the Lord that we should be that way. And I was thinking too, we want God to hear us all the time. They use the term 24-7. We want God to always be on call, you know, for healing and provision, for comfort, for supply, whatever it might be that we need. But what can God have? I guess that's the title for the talk today. But what can God have? What are we prepared to give God for this attention that we want from him? Now, how often do we talk to him in prayer? How many do we talk to him in English uh, just to satisfy our minds that we're, we're getting across what we want? How often do we read of him when we open the scriptures? How often do we serve him? Some of the things that we've been hearing about here today. How often do we gather before him? 
How important is it together with the saints? And these are questions we've got to ask ourselves. I'm not asking these questions of you. I want you to ask them of yourself just the same as I ask myself these same questions. That's probably a terrible way to put it, but what did we sign up for when we came? When the Lord called us and we went through the waters of baptism, what did we sign up for? We didn't sign up for this life, we signed up for eternal life. We went through the waters of baptism, the Lord gave us the Holy Spirit, and in essence that was an engagement put in place. One ring was baptism, the other ring was the giving of the Holy Spirit, and we are espoused, if you like, to the Lord, waiting for the marriage of the Lamb. And I guess the question we want to ask is, are we living for our fiancé, or are we living for, the, for this world that we're living in now? 1 Corinthians in chapter 6. It's easy for life, for all of us, it's easy for life to just run over the top of us sometimes, you know. It's not nothing that we intend to happen. Just all of a sudden we find that life has galloped over the top of us in one way or another. You know, we're all time poor and all these sorts of things that we tell ourselves. Uh, but we've just got to draw back sometimes. And in, in uh, aviation, of course, they teach people to be pilots, but they also have a maintenance schedule uh, and things that Graham Manning and so forth know about, about maintenance and so forth, things that have to be done to maintain the safety there. And here in Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 6, I'm just going to read a couple of verses, verse 19 and 20. Oh, well known to us, of course, we're just reminding ourselves. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? Have I given you the right place or not? What did I say? That's typical, isn't it? <laughs> Don't believe a word I say with numbers. There you go. That's why I'm not a pilot. <laughs> uh, cool. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And so quite clearly we see here, and one of the things that we love in this, in this maintenance schedule, our Bible, is, the, is that the letters in particular are correction and guidance. You know, these, the people that these letters were written to were already spirit-filled, like you and I, and these were, were direction, correction, edification, knowledge, wisdom, all these sorts of things that we would know how to how to walk in the spirit, this thing that we've been given now. I won't turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 23, it says, But you are bought with a price, be not ye the servants of men. We're now the servants of the living God. And I think I'm pretty sure that every one of us is pleased to be that way, and all the people said, what a wonderful life he's given us. And remember, we're examining ourselves here today, not each other, we're examining ourselves. We want to hear, we want him to hear us always, but we must always make sure that we hear him. You know, when it speaks through the word in front of us here in our Bibles, or it speaks through the word in the spiritual gifts, that we hear him and we're prepared to respond to what he's saying. First Peter, first Peter chapter one. And start reading, I'm going to read this whole chapter actually, we'll try and get through it fairly quickly, but it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the strangers scattered abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and uh, Binthnia, or wherever that is, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, 
grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, and, and I, I, say, I, I say a lot, I suppose, and I don't apologise for it, the, the beautiful way that terminology, particularly in the King James Bible, is there about abundant mercy. You won't read about that in another book. You'll never read about abundant mercy somewhere else. This is of God. Hath begotten us again, or caused us to be born anew from above, to be born again. The reason? Unto a lively hope. And how did that happen? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what put all of this in place for you and I, that God was willing to send him, that Jesus was willing to come, and upon his resurrection we were willing to listen. The reason for it? To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Incredibly personal these things are. This is what's in heaven for you and I, each and every one of us. It's just an amazing thing. Speaking of us, it goes on in verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. And we heard from our brother Mickey earlier, life's not always easy. There's great challenges, situations, circumstances, but we are equipped and current to be able to do these things. The reason that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honour and glory. When? At the appearing of Jesus Christ. And speaking of him, it then says, Whom, having not seen you love, in whom now though you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And we just got to make sure that when, when life does come galloping over the top of us, we don't lose sight of these things. You know, that we're not overwhelmed by our circumstance and situation. And that can come with pain or discomfort, disappointment, setbacks. It can come with all sorts of things, maybe even death. But if death comes, you don't have to worry about it anymore because then we'll see the trumpet. We'll hear the trumpet sound and life will be the same and forevermore. It'll be eternal for us and it'll be wonderful. It's got a colon there and it goes on and says, Receiving the end of our faith, the conclusion of that, even the salvation of your soul. That's what everything is about. If there's no salvation of soul, life is worthless. Life is meaningless if there's no God, no Jesus, and the saving of our soul. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what is and what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified before the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom also it was revealed, and not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported uh, reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you, with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. We're in a pretty amazing thing, aren't we? Something that the angels desire to look into, you and I are involved in. Wherefore, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end 
for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts of our old life in your ignorance, and we were all ignorant of that. Brother Michael shared that in his testimony, and those components are probably the same for all of us. But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judge according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Now let's always remain alert to the calling of God, to his correction, his direction, the things that we need to do to be in service, to be rejoicing at what's been given unto us. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed or bought back with corruptible things as silver or gold from your vain conversation received by the traditions of your fathers. So it wasn't we weren't bought back to God by gold and bullion and silver and all sorts of things like that. It says, but with the precious blood of Christ as the lamb without blemish and without spot. That was the price that was paid for your soul and mine. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit, the unfeigned love of the brethren, See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So it's an amazing thing that's been done for each and every one of us. As I say, we don't want to get caught up and let, let our life and our world and our circumstances run over the top of us and make excuses for ourselves about why we can't do this or why we can't do that or why we can't serve the Lord. It's a very easy habit to get into. It's a very hard habit sometimes to get out of. But if we examine ourselves, if we want to please God, if we want to walk in his ways, we have everything that's needed to be able to do these things. We'll go to Romans chapter 12. And we're just going to read a few verses here. It says in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Again, I, I just love that. It's your reasonable service. The Lord's not asking too much of us. He's given us everything we need. He's given us true life now and eternal life when the time comes. And this is our reasonable service that we should serve God. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So this is not something which has to be done by a vicar or a reverend or a somebody or other with a collar on and a cross around his neck and all that sort of stuff on your behalf. But this is something that's been given to each and every one of us, not only eternal life, but the capacity to understand God's will, to have the mind of Christ and be prepared to work within those ways. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to him, uh, to every man, a measure of faith. 
And of course, you look at some of the churches of the world, you know, with the right reverends and the royal right reverends and the up above everybody else right reverends, and they just keep giving themselves incredible names, archbishops and popes and one thing and another, and stand above all their congregation. But that's not what the Bible's telling us here. In verse 4 it says, For as many have, uh, have members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophesy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, he that teacheth on teaching, he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, and honour preferring one another. Not slothful in business, it's the Lord's business really, not slothful in his being, not talking about the job that we go to, we need a testimony there, but this is about not being slothful in God's business. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. And that's the testimony that's been encouraged in each and every one of us. I came in 1981, and this was the testimony that was encouraged to me from the word of God. And I thought how different that is to the churches of this world. It's completely different to the things that you and I might have experienced before. Just back a few pages into chapter 6. It says here in verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death, Therefore we are buried with him by the baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So he physically died and he was raised from the dead. But you and I have died to this life. It says that we can walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. So we've been completely changed. I think we've been changed far more than perhaps we realise at times. You've got to maybe, if you get some old pictures and look back at what you used to do, you go, oh, I used to do that, you know. I look at a picture of myself and you've got a cigarette in your hand or something, you know, and it's just so alien to look back at that life that we once had. We won't go there, I'll just mention in Hebrews 9.14, it says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works? And it says, to serve the living God. And I guess that's where I really want to um, focus on here today. What can God have? You know, what are we prepared to give him? And I would ask all of us not to make excuses for ourselves. You know, maybe we haven't done this, that, whatever it is, you, you've got to look at yourself, you know, but whatever it is that we feel that we haven't given him, what a, what a beautiful time to start giving it to him. A time to pray and rejoice and, and to see these things and begin to give them to him. Now we're going to 2 
Corinthians chapter 5. Reading a few blocks of scripture here today, but I think sometimes <clears throat> we need to, instead of just plucking some verses out, we need to see where they sit in the whole th- scheme of things. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Wherefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And these are the things we've been hearing about here today with the two outreaches that our brother spoke about that we've got upcoming and there's many other things, of course. It could be an outreach at your work tomorrow in the coffee shop or the, by the, by the, in the dinner room or wherever it might be. If you're going there prepared, if you're going there to serve God, if you're going as a representative, there can be an outreach anywhere. We do, we do preserve some and, and set some up like the convention is a very large one. Uh, but if you're spontaneous to speak about God, it can happen anywhere goes on and it says in verse 19, To wit that God uh, was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we, uh, we are ambassadors for Christ, as through God to beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God. And he made him to be sin for us who might, sorry, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And on it flows, no, it's got chapter 6, but that's an interruption to it all. We then, as workers together with him. And I thought that's just got to be the most special place in the history of absolutely everything, that we should be workers together with God and all the people said. You imagine, that's unbelievable. We can't even see him, but he's forgiven us, adopted us, and drawn us into the work with him. Workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. That's what he's encouraging us here. Don't lose sight of how important this is. Not only in the eternal things about our salvation in the end, but not selling ourselves short on anything. Now the other night we had a look at it in our house, in our house meeting, we looked at the spiritual gifts, not so much the chapters themselves, but the framework, but mostly about enthusiasm, mostly about desire and excitement to be involved. And we looked at those, we answered a few questions, and two people operated a gift for the first time, an interpretation and a prophecy, and another person operated a gift of tongues for the first time in many, many years. And it was just fantastic. It's just a beautiful thing that people should get excited about these things. Um, we got up to uh, verse 3, we'll try there. Giving no offence in any way that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God. And then it's got all these things that can sidetrack us. In much patience and afflictions and necessities and distresses, stripes, imprisonments, tumults, labours, watchings, fastings, pureness by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armour of righteousness on the right hand and the left, by honour and dishonour, by evil report, good report, as deceivers and yet true, as known and yet, sorry, as unknown yet well known, by dying and behold we live as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making many rich, 
and having nothing, yet possessing all things. And we do. Many of us probably struggle to get three figures in a bank account, you know, but we've got everything. Richer than millionaires, the Bible tells us, is the position and the situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, just if you're taking notes in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, it says, For we are labourers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. Amazing, isn't it? When you think about, we look back in the Old Testament, the temples and, and all the things, all the structure of the Old Testament, and now it all happens inside of you and I. You know, it's an amazing thing. So I guess a couple other things. We've either, we, two things. If life's overrun us a little bit, we've got, there's two choices. There's two circumstances we can be in. We've either decided that this is all God can have of my life. And if that's the case, that's pretty sad and, and pretty disappointing. I think most of all for ourselves, if that's the case. Well, life has just slowly invaded us and we're willing to restore the balance and all the people said. And that's the encouragement from God. In too many places these days, you get feel-good preaching, you know, just tell you how much money you're going to get, you know, and all this sort of stuff. But in this fellowship, I rejoice that the full counsel of God is here, the correction. You know, when it needs to be correction, it's there. The maintenance manual is here. We're not scared to roll our sleeves up and look at ourselves in the word of God just to make sure, first of all, that we please God, that we're in the service, that we're willing to do all of those types of things and to be ready for him. Uh, go to Hebrews briefly, uh, chapter 10, and in verse 19. <clears throat> Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which is consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And we remember, just briefly, we think back to the children of Israel and so forth, and for their sins and so on. Only the, the chief priest could go in once a year into the presence of God and so forth, and, and that was just once a year to do this, and it had to be done over and over and over again. But Jesus did it once here for us. Verse 21, it says, In having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that is promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner as some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And again, like I say, these things are written in the scriptures, particularly here in the epistles, because God knew what we'd be like, and he made sure that the writings covered everything, you know, that we don't forsake the fellowshipping of ourselves together. And it's not just a matter of coming along and sitting on our seat for the time we're here. It's about being part of our brothers' and sisters' lives, praying for each other, caring for each other, thinking about each other's testimonies, encouraging here or whatever we can do, not only in the body of Christ, but for those that don't know the Lord yet. Uh, while we're still in Hebrews, we'll flip over to chapter 12, verse 25. It says here in verse 25, it says, See that you refuse not him that speaketh. 
for if they uh for sorry, for if they es- escaped yeah, it's got a hyphen in the middle and goes around the corner. <laughs> for if they escaped not, who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Very sobering verse, isn't it? It's a very sobering verse. But I rejoice it's in there. It would have been so easy just to print a book full of, a book full of good things, you know, nice and happy things, cheerful things. But there's times that we need to read the serious things, the reminding ourselves things, you know. It goes on, it says, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised saying yet once more, I'll shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things which are shaken of the things that are made the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. But I know when I look around the place, I see people that are just thrilled to serve the Lord. This is just a reminder for us to keep it up, you know, not, to, not to fall by the wayside, not to get weary in what we're doing. Just a few if we're, uh, I guess too, based on what we just read, you know, what can God have? What, what is God entitled to from this new life that he's given us? You know, is he entitled just to a couple of hours here and there, just a smattering a bit if I can give it to him? Or is he entitled to the lot? You know, there's more than enough time for the things that we want to do, but to be able to make sure that we give God everything he deserves because he gave us the most precious thing there is, which was his son. If you're taking notes, just a few I'll mention here in, in Mark 8.34. It says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And it was important enough to be recorded also in Matthew 16.24 and Luke 9.23. That we take up our cross and it says, Daily. It doesn't say once or now and again we take up our cross daily. In John 10.27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. We go in the same way, in the same footsteps. In John 12.26, it says, if any man serve me, let him follow me and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honour. A lovely thought, isn't it, if we serve the, serve the Lord, that his father will honour us. And in Second John, I think that's right, Second John, whatever it's in, John somewhere, it says, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we have a full reward, the Bible says, that we don't miss out on anything. Probably the last scripture we'll go to is Romans 14. Romans 14, in ver- just a couple of verses. In verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. And I love these comparison verses. That it tells us one thing that it's not, and then it tells us what it is. And there's many, many verses like this. So it tells us the kingdom of God is not in meat and drink, but it's in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. That's serving the Lord. That's what it's all about. In the Holy Ghost, 
that which has been given to us. And of course, that's many things. It's house meetings. You know, maybe you don't go to house meetings. You know, obviously, if you're 104, you know, you're infirmed and you know, there's excuses. There's, they're not excuses. There's reasons. But make sure you don't have an excuse instead of a reason about why you don't go to house meetings. Such a rich and a wonderful place to be on a Friday night. Prayer nights. I've been so buoyed lately by the numbers of folks that we're seeing that think it's important enough to go to a prayer night. You know, one hour. That's all it is. One hour. We have two on a Monday night each month and one on a Tuesday morning once a month. There's three opportunities throughout the month just to go and to spend an hour with brothers and sisters about the Lord. You know, we want the Lord to listen, don't we? We always want him to listen, but are we prepared to give him this hour once a month just to go and to rejoice and be in his presence? Things like visiting and caring, outreaching, you know, all the things that we've talked about here. And the scriptures say, freely we've received, freely give, it says. I mentioned about the first uh, paragraph in that article that I read about the pilots. And the last article read, and I thought it was really, really important, after it said all these things about pilots and what they need to do and how they need to maintain uh, their integrity and have their hours and their knowledge and their understanding and everything in place. It said, unfortunately, much of the strategy for staying proficient or up-to-date across everything they need to go requires a commitment and articles that detail ways to achieve proficiently are like preaching to the choir. Often the pilots who need to act don't. And I guess that's the thing that really hit me. We don't ever want to be in that position, and all the people said, that, you know, we know we should, but we don't. And that's a fleshly choice. That's not that of the Spirit. I've decided I'm not going to. And that's a disappointing place to be. But if you are willing, understand that staying proficient is a challenge, but it shouldn't be a chore. Be honest about your ability and do more than the minimum. Work with an instructor or a safety pilot to smooth out the rough spots and aim to not only be current, but proficient and safe. And I thought it was a great way to finish off that article about pilots and the parallels that we can have to ourselves. And to examine ourselves takes courage, and all the people said. It's really one of the most courageous things we've got to do is stand, look at ourselves in the mirror and ask, am I doing enough? Am I doing it right? Have a prayer, have a read, whatever it takes, just to make sure we've got everything tidied up. We won't go there, but if you're taking notes, write down Joshua 23.6 tells us, Be therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. And in our time, of course, everything that's written here in the word of God. That you turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. Let's make sure we give God what he deserves and everybody's happy.